episode of Conversations with Saruti. This is your host, Ben Saruti speaking, and uh, with me today is frequent guest, friend of the show, colleague, uh, crazy avocado, Kyle Reese. Uh, Kyle, welcome back. (laughs) Hello, Ben. It's a pleasure to talk it over with you. I am all those things. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what to call you at this point. Uh, don't follow him on Twitter at K-Y-L-E-R-416. Go follow C-70 instead. Uh, now that that's out of the way, um, let's jump straight in. We haven't gotten to talk in a while. We haven't gotten to talk draft or Cardinals or anything. Um, so trade deadline just came and passed, and, and I wanted to have you on pretty close after that just to talk about, you know, I thought maybe we'd see more prospects moved either towards or away from the Cardinals, but um, really the only one that moved was Evan Sisk. Um, What's Minnesota getting in him? A really interesting left-handed relief pitcher who throws from a a deceptive sidearm type angle. You know, when the Cardinals drafted him and before COVID shut down, he was a mid-90s, a low to mid-90s fastball pitcher, and he used the break from COVID to get his fastball up into the high 90s, topping out about 97. Uh, his slider had taken a, a quite a large step forward, too. So I think what they got is somebody who used his off time to become a better relief pitcher and legitimately was going to be on my dirty 35 or what might end up being a dirty 40 or a dirty 90, depending on if I can actually stop doing this. Um, but yeah, he was, he was going to be one of the relief pitchers on my dirty 35 and, uh, he was overworked substantially specifically after he got promoted to Springfield and you could really start to see the signs of wear and tear specifically with his location and his command. But what the twins got is a promising left-handed bullpen option. Who's more than just a loogie. He's tough on lefties and righties. So, um, you know, all of that so that you don't have to pay any a dollar for J.A. Hat bums me out. But uh, I guess the Cardinals view themselves to be in a worse financial situation than I think most of us realize. Yeah. Um, without going down that rabbit hole or any other trade deadline rabbit hole, I'm going to try to keep this to prospects. But, um, but yeah, I, that makes... That's interesting for me to hear that, you know, you you potentially here don't think of him as a guy that we're just riding the high and getting a starter because he had a good start to the year, but that he may have made some actual significant changes in that year off. I think so. 
and just talking with some people too who are close to him uh it, it seems like all of that checks out now we've seen we've seen this happen before like i remember a couple of years ago the cardinals traded uh 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 eli alvarez i think for um the relief pitcher who they got after september 1st i man i'm totally blinking uh why um, am I oh the Guy from the Pirates. The, yeah, that's it. it. Who only pitched for like two and a half weeks and wouldn't have been able to be on the playoff roster. Um, yeah. But, you know, when they traded Nicasio. him. Nicasio? Yeah, Juan Nicasio. God. Okay. I, I'm so, again, I'm so buried in, I, I took off today and I've worked on the Dirty 35 every, so I'm, I'm out of it. But, uh, yeah, you know, back then, Eli, Eli became nothing. You know, he, he just kind of faltered out at that point. And maybe that happens with Evan Sisk. We all know how, I don't know, how volatile being a relief pitcher is in the first place at the major league and the minor league level is. So maybe that overuse, the overtaxing, maybe he doesn't end up becoming anything. But he's he's more than just some throw-in. Uh, he has the potential to be something more. Okay. Interesting. Um, let, let's just briefly touch on this draft class. I feel like, um, in the past, we've talked about how Randy Flores' past scouting strategy is kind of picking up those biggest, loudest tools early, the high upside early, because guys keep falling to him unexpectedly. Um, how did this year's draft st- strategy look in comparison to that? It's similar. There are, there are some loud tools, but I think that uh, the organizational need for pitching kind of changes how you might appraise tools, if that makes sense. You know, uh, specifically in past drafts, you know, you think about Nolan Gorman, Griffin Roberts, Luke and Baker. Yeah, you, you think about Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, uh, Markevian Hentz. And there are a lot of really loud tools there. This year is a little bit different because you have your second round pick, Joshua Baez, the, uh, the prep outfielder is nothing but loud tools. He is a prospect built on top of loud tools, loud athleticism, a loud arm, uh, a loud bat, uh, potentially a loud ability to strike out. We're going to find out more about that. But uh, the organizational need for pitching, you know, not to not to beat up on Michael McCreevy, the first-round pick, or Austin Love, or, uh, uh, you know, Zane Mills, or Gordon Graceffo, not to beat up on those guys, but they're more about command. And that, that's not to take away from the fact that some of these guys have a really good changeup. Some of them have a really good slider. Um, but I think this this draft definitely seemed a little bit more organizational need-driven than it has in the past. Yeah, you and I kind of discussed that in DMs right after it happened, I think. Um, so what was your overall take on the class in terms of do you think it was – as good as it could have been potentially there uh, if they were looking more organizational need, or do you think that uh, I'll I'll stop there and stop giving you, you know, ways to go with that. What do you think? I like it. I like a lot of these guys. Um, I've, I've definitely warmed up to some of the pitchers that they drafted maybe more than, than I thought I would on the day of the draft. I'll stay out of the Michael McGreevy thing for now because I'm sure we'll touch on that. And even if we don't, we don't really even need to touch on it. But uh, it's it's the other pitchers like uh, like Austin Love. Like I watch Austin Love, the righty out of North Carolina, and when you're just kind of viewing him a little bit, you think, well, 
I could see his fastball, even though he can get it up above the mid nineties, I could see that thing getting hit pretty hard. And he doesn't really, his, his command isn't there. You know, you look at his secondary pitches and if you're just kind of like not really keying in on it, you think ah, that stuff kind of looks hittable, hittable, but you watch it a little bit more. And you, what, what really sticks out to me is that he's, he's a strong bodied kid that throws kind of from his ear. It's not like catcher throw, but it, it's a deceptive motion with a quick arm. And he throws all three of his pitches from the same slot. So that's going to play up a little bit. You know, uh, uh, the, the one prospect in particular that I've, I've really, uh, the one drafty that I've really come to like maybe more than I thought I would is the Villanova righty Gordon Graceffo. Uh That kid is, if I have my bet, and again, you don't know what's going to happen once they get into organized organized baseball. But I think there's a chance that Graceffo is the best pitcher that they drafted this year. Um, you know, again, I, I don't know what to make of Michael McGreevy yet. I I I think we got to see him in the organization uh, and, and we'll kind of adjust. But uh, I think McGreevy aside, you know, not to uh, not to diminish Austin Love or Zane Mills uh, specifically or. Alec Willis, the seventh-round pick who the Cardinals drafted, that the prep kid. There's just something about the pitchability of Graceffo, along with his like mind and his tenacity on the mound, that I'm really interested in. And I, I can't wait to see once what it looks like once he gets a few weeks into the minor league season, because he's already pitching now. Yeah, I was about to say a couple comments I have there. Um, I, I have not gotten to see any of them pitch except for on video prior to the draft or just after the draft, just draft video. So I haven't gotten to see anything else. Um, I heard an interview with Brian Walton on uh, Scoops with Danny, Danny Mack talking about how none of these guys, they're basically all in Florida and all getting evaluated by the team, basically. Um, I did notice, I just opened B baseball reference pages and Graceffo is the only one of the top, top 10 picks no, top 10 round pitchers taken. So Graceffo was taken in round five. They took pitchers in rounds one, three, four, five, six, seven, and nine. He's the only one of them that's thrown a pitch for the organization so far in organized ball, um, throwing in two games at Palm Beach. Um, does have three strikeouts, but five hits allowed in two and a third innings for anybody who cares. Um, but maybe that does lend a little credence to what you're saying there. Maybe they do see him as kind of ready to go with that pitchability and 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 mental makeup and and everything you talked about. Just maybe they see him as okay. This guy's ready to just hit the ground running. Um, yeah, the difference. Be oh, I'm sorry, real fast. The difference between no, Love and Graceffo and McGreevy is uh, you know from a just from a pitching a pitched inning standpoint. Graceffo was right around like the 80 innings pitched. I think I could be wrong about Love. I'm probably going to get Love wrong. I think Love was right at 100, and Michael McCreevy was over 100. He was at like 110, 120. So uh, the, the one that I thought would be the first one, Alfredo uh, Ruiz uh, from Long Beach State, I thought he'd be the first one to see organized action because he was at like 60 and he was a starter. Um, but, yeah, so I think that plays into it a little bit as well. Okay, yeah, that could be. Although I, do, I just still have his page open. Graceffo did also play in a summer league and threw 12 innings there. Yeah, so that, that's I don't a little know bit exactly different when because, that was. Yeah, it, it, that's a little different because there's time. You know, there's there's that little bit of break in there, so it's not right, continuous right, right. in season innings. That makes sense. Um, the other thing I was going to mention with this group is. Um, 
the high school pitcher taken, Alec Willis. He is, interestingly to me at least, one of four along with, or no, one of five, I guess, along with McGreevy, Baez, Holgate, and Love, the top four picks of the draft for the Cardinals. Alec Willis is the only other one in this draft ahead of Zane Mills, Gordon Griffiseffo, and Alfredo Ruiz um, that is on uh, MLB Pipeline and Fangraphs. No, Fangraphs and Baseball America's up, updated prospects for the Cardinals. So I, don't know, I found that interesting that he, he was the one that made the jump coming from like round seven or eight instead of somebody else. It was, it's been interesting, this draft. Normally, it's after round 10 where you'll see some of these kids taken and signed for a million dollars. And it, that wasn't really the case in this draft, not just with the Cardinals. It seems like like rounds six through eight is where some of those prep arms and prep bats that slip past the first 50 to 100 picks ended up getting drafted and signed for a million dollars. And that, that's what Willis did. He signed for a million dollars. I I like Alec Willis a lot. There, there are so many intriguing things about that kid. You know, he's he's – he has a body to be a pitcher and he's flashed velocity uh, to be a starter, but he's lives mostly in the low nineties. Uh, nothing's wrong with that as an 18 year old kid. He's getting bigger, getting stronger. There's a lot of raw tools there, but I, to me, the footnote with, with Willis is that he underwent that Seth Manis surgery uh, on his elbow. He, he's already had that he's recovered from it. He's thrown all positives uh, back to business as usual. But that's a million-dollar gambit. And it, to me, in the draft, in the seventh round, that's the exact gambit I want them to take. That's the gamble that I want them to make every draft. In the seventh, you know, you get past the first five rounds. It's a yeah, beautiful, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in my mind, if I was – and again, you have to take the information that you're getting from all of your scouts, all of your people, all of your personnel. Uh, but if it were me in the draft, those first five rounds I'd probably treat pretty standard – and then after those, you know, depending on what the board looks like, depending on how it's all shaping up, after the after the first five rounds, get creative, get inventive. And, and I think Willis here, even if it doesn't pay off, you know, even if he hits a wall and either his arm strength or development, whatever it ends up being, that's a great seventh round pick. I, and I, I love it. I, the kid is really interesting. Cool. Awesome. Um, okay, one more thing about the draft, sort of. Uh, this is going to kind of bridge the gap, I guess, between the draft and talking about more of the prospects already in the system. Do you feel like that strategy we talked about with Flores has we, – we've talked in the past about how the Cardinals kind of have a donut hole at the top of the organization right now. Do you think that the strategy he's used has helped to unintentionally create that donut hole of, of lack of – players ready to hop into Major League Baseball action? It's a combo of two things. Uh, they've drafted pitchers poorly and that philosophy. You know, and, and it's probably not fair to say they've drafted pitchers poorly. That's that's not fair because we're, you have to take into account the 2020 break. And you have to take into account specifically with Zach Thompson, how they've pushed him to AAA. Uh, and... You know, I say they've drafted pitchers poorly. I like Griffin Roberts. I am a, I was a big fan of Griffin Roberts. I, I think taking him where they took him was a smart pick. It just didn't work out. It, it, it doesn't look like it's going to work out either. You know, he hasn't pitched since like the second week of the minor league season. I think he's injured. 
I, I haven't been able to get any information. I, I think he might have actually undergone Tommy John. That was some of the whispers I heard. But again, that's unfair speculation. Uh, I have, I honestly, I didn't even look to try to get it clarified because I'm so far beyond that right now. But uh, between the, the stoppage in 2020, uh, the over aggressive, not over aggressive, the aggressive promotion of Zach Thompson, and then a lot of those late round draft pick pitchers not overperforming like they have in the past with past uh, Cardinals drafts. That is part of the reason why they're in the situation that they're in. I think the 2020 shutdown and minor league contractions specifically have aided this. Um, It's interesting to go back to that 2019 draft because it was the last 40 round draft and the Cardinals drafted a lot of college pitchers. Yeah, that was the Tony Losey, who he's on Colorado now on the Arenado deal, but the Payante, Thomas, Ralston, Greg, Thompson draft. Yeah, yeah, but even even beyond that. So, and I was thinking about this a couple days ago. You know, we got I, the way that the minor league season started, and without having the short season clubs, you know, people were just kind of assigned. Uh, a lot of the the Caribbean kids, the island kids, you know, they they were aggressively promoted to Palm Beach, and that left kind of a an, a weird balance of pitchers at the Peoria level. But you know, I got so caught up in just getting into the minor league season and following these kids and learning about them that I had forgotten about all of the the 2019 draft picks, the college kids that have been discarded by this organization. Um, I, again, they're, they're kids that I don't have a connection with. Uh, so I, I can't really like talk about it, uh, in specifics, but like, you know, Michael Yasenko, who is still in the organization, still pitching, he's a starter for Peoria. He was drafted in the 17th round, but there were some really promising relief pitchers that I just don't pitchers collegiate drafted pitchers from 2019 that just aren't pitching that aren't in the organization. And I think, uh, have been kind of. Like, I don't know where they're at. I don't know what the deal is. Uh, so, you know, you talk about, you talk about, and I had to pull up the 2019 draft list, but you talk about guys like Adrian Marduano, who made his debut in 2019 and then isn't in the organization. Uh, you know, um, uh, Jeremy Randolph, Eric Lex, Tyler Peck, uh, Scott Politz, who was a Yale kid, Cameron Duell uh, from Mizzou. Uh, there were all of these kids that they drafted in 2019 that I think, under most circumstances, if 2020 had been played, would have been on the Peoria roster or the Palm Beach roster and given some of these other kids a chance to develop at a short season level or had contraction happen and they were still in at the complex level. That just didn't happen. Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that it's just it's a combination of – and all of those names, all of those kids, I'm just bringing up to illustrate the fact that minor league contraction has a lot to do with the fact that minor league play has been sloppy. Uh, it's gotten better but minor league play has been sloppy, but also that that there is this organizational hole specifically in regards to pitching. I'm just going to throw another name to the list there. I just, just because I looked him up, 2018, they drafted Steven Gingery early on. Yeah. Is he gone too, or is he he hurt? He he retired. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple guys who retired. Uh, Gingery Gingery and, um, oh, Anthony Shue. You know, uh, oh, yeah. Was another, yeah, he was another one that he started. He got hurt at the end of 2019 
And he was a pitcher that I think the Cardinals were counting on to provide quite a bit of depth, and and he retired. And my assumption is, uh, and again, since it's something that I haven't really thought about until recently, my assumption is all of those relief pitchers, all of those collegiate pitchers that I talked about from the 2019 draft, they probably retired too. I, they might have been released by the organization. There weren't, there isn't a paper trail of any of that stuff, but they probably retired because it's, you know, you missed 2020. They probably had to get a full-time job and they yeah. saw that there was no easy way to follow a major league career. So they probably got yeah, out. That, that or like independent league ball might be really awesome right now. I yeah. don't know. It is. So that's, that is a lot of the whispers you hear. A lot of the things you talk about is that independent league baseball is probably better than it's ever been. Okay. Cool. Um, well, let's go from that semi-depressing topic to um, something a little more fun here. Um, this is a. <laughs> um, I-, I swear, one of these days you're just going to get this random DM from Arby's, like sponsoring your podcast somehow. Yeah. That that's the end goal here, right? <laughs> that's it. Just embracing the void, Ben. Um. So we're going to do an all-star game challenge. I want you to create two all-star teams for the Cardinals minor leagues. One with double A and triple A at each position. One with high A and below. Just best player at those positions. <laughs> you know, this is, this is what I get for not reading your, your this is what we're going over for the podcast. Now, you know, I've got to do this. The exact quote was, I don't want to know what we're talking about ahead of time. I don't. So you do this to me. Uh, how about this? Uh, okay, yep. so can I pay pitcher wise? What do I do for pitchers? Do it, one starter. One okay, so I was going to do. I was going to do a right-handed starter, a closer, and then a left-handed pitcher of some sort, whether it's okay. a starter or a reliever. Okay, so I'll start there. Uh, if you're talking about your all-star at the, at the upper levels, your left-handed pitcher is Connor Thomas. There's there's no doubt about it. Yeah, uh, he would be the Cy Young of the organization at this point. Uh, he's provided valuable innings at, at the two highest levels for the major leagues. He was a starter, but now they've kind of been doing this weird little hybrid piggyback thingy where now he's kind of pitching out of relief, a couple innings out of relief here and there. Uh, but he took huge steps forward during COVID. Uh, your your all-star pitcher uh, starter is hands down Connor Thomas. Uh, then, as odd as it sounds, if you have to pick a right-handed starter, you know, Andre Payante has been really good, but struggled lately. Uh, you know, Matthew Libertor has been has been really good, but we've already have our lefty covered. Uh, I, the, the first name that came to my mind, even though he's not the best pitcher, uh, is Dalton Roach for Springfield. And again, that's not, I think that the smart answer would be Andre Payante, um, especially leading into like his last three or four starts. But Dalton Roach has provided some really important innings for Springfield. He's struck out quite a bit of guys, even though he's faced a lot of guys, so his strikeout percentage isn't specifically high. But he he is he's been such a valuable part to eating innings uh, at, at the minor league level. So uh, if I had to pick the right-handed starter, uh, I'd probably go him. And that's I mean, realistically, it's it's either Payante or Angel Rondon. But I'm going to blow past Rondon just be, for the sake of the fact that he's. He's already been in the majors. Uh, I'm going to try to pick guys who haven't been in the majors and then just add them as footnotes like we are with Rondon. Uh, Please don't tell me for the reliever you're going Evan Sisk. <laughs> well, that would have been tough, too, because, you know, he spent most of his time in the low levels. So when we got to the low oh, okay. levels, we, we would have, uh, uh, you know, luckily, well, we'll get to that when we get to that. We'll get to that when we okay. get to that. 
<laughs> um, so I guess my relief pitcher would be against, and this is the two names that come to my mind are Connor Jones, uh, not to discredit Austin Warner, who's also pitched some really important innings for, for Memphis, uh, but Connor Jones and probably Edgar Escobar for Connor Jones for Memphis, Edgar Escobar for, for Springfield. But the problem with Escobar is they relied on him so heavily early in the year. I mean, so heavily that to watch his ascent and then descent uh, within a month of each other, it breaks my heart. Uh it, I would, I would, I would have picked Escobar had he been able to keep it up. Had they given him a little bit more rest in between appearances, uh, but I would say Connor Jones. You know his his stats aren't impressive, but he, you know, he's been a very important relief pitcher for the Cardinals. You know, it's tough too because so many of these guys have been relief pitchers and starters. Uh, you think about Grant Black. Grant Black did it with Springfield and Memphis. Um, but Dal- Dalton Roach, he started off the year as a reliever and ended up being a starter. So, uh, yeah, I would do that. Uh, and then I'm not going to ramble on any further. Are, are a lot of those starters slash relievers out of necessity because of how pitchers have pitched? Or is this by design to get players innings? I think in some cases, I think, I think in some cases it's by design. Uh, but I do think between the injuries at the major league level uh, that the minor league team has had to backfill, uh, I, I think that some of it is is. necessity is such a convenient word, but I think it's more just reactionary, like reaction necessity, necessity uh, in the form of reaction. Um, If you're going to do outfielders and this is, again, it gets really, it gets, it gets to be a lot of fun because do I include Lars Newtbar who is being, you know, kind of bastardized by the, the big club as a taxi squad slash Lane Thomas, uh, in 2019 outfielder. I, I'm going to do it because he was the first name that came to my mind aside from the other person who I'm going to put on the list, Nick Plummer. Uh, it's It would be, you know, Nick Plummer, Lars Newtbar, and, you know, and a, probably Justin Turner, honestly. Th- those would be my three outfielders that would be the all-stars. You know, Justin Turner didn't play particularly well for uh, Memphis when he was at Memphis, but and when you look at the stats for Springfield, they're not exactly the most impressive. But since being sent back down to Springfield after being with Memphis, Justin Turner has been really good. And he plays a really good outfield. Uh, and that's not to discredit Connor Capel, but uh, Connor Capel, he goes on stretches where he's really good. And other times he's just kind of like nowhere. Gotcha. So th- those would be my outfielders. You know, you can't... Uh- I'll even give you a DH if you really want to squeeze Juan Yepes's, uh utility outfield, infield, corner spots there. Yeah, yeah. But then for DH, I'll pick Juan Yepes if that's okay. Uh, with, we'll, yeah, so, we'll, we'll call it we'll call it a utility spot just because uh, the NL doesn't have a DH yet. Yeah, that works for me. Uh, that's tough because <laughs> then I have a decision to make about Kramer Robertson too. But um, <laughs> so. Uh, then Luke and Baker would be your first baseman. Avon Herrera is is your catcher. And I know you'll look at his stats. And this is – I'm more frustrated this year by reaction to stats than I've ever been because there's so many so many variables that go into this year that I, I think don't tell the story. Like I've, I've heard a lot of people reference Avon Herrera's stats specifically lately as these comments about a re-upping Yachty and most comments about uh, Avon Herrera being their long-term catching option have, have started to become popular topics. 
Um, but Avon Herrera is a good catcher. He's a really good catcher that gets better and better, uh, even if necessarily the stats don't show it. A little too patient for his own good at the plate. I'd like to see him be maybe a little bit more aggressive, but he just works counts. He, he's, he has a feel at the plate that uh, I think once he, once he understands his own approach, uh, I think he'll start to really bud as a hitter. Uh, but even now, like I'm impressed with him at the plate. I don't think he's ever overmatched. I don't think the stats tell the full story about what he's doing. So uh, Baker at first, uh, Herrera at catcher, second base. I'm gonna, I'll put Gorman at second base just to take the easy way out. Uh, Nolan Gorman's your second baseman. Um, he's he's not there defensively second base yet. Again, I, I think the key for him will be getting a full offseason at second. He's clunky there. He's he's kind of frozen, I think is the best way to put it. You know, he he, he doesn't have the, the mannerisms that you would expect out of a second baseman. He's kind of tripping over himself here and there. And He looks like he's never played it before. He looks like he's never played it before, but with that in mind, like when you know, Ben, you're right. A tremendous, a tremendous athlete who's never played it before. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he just looks like a third baseman playing second base. You know, like it's not like Bo Hart playing second or even Paul DeYoung who had never played second playing second. You know, uh, it's, it's just kind of a third baseman, a full throttle third baseman since he was probably 14 years old, you know, uh, playing second base. He'll get that offseason, and I think that's when we'll, we'll be able to tell if he's going to be able to stick at second or not. Uh, so yeah. he, he'd he be the second baseman. Uh, with that, I would put Brendan Donovan at third base. Uh, you could you could kind of flip one or the other if you wanted to get cute. You could say Gorman's your third baseman, uh, Brendan Donovan's your second baseman. And Donovan started the year at low A, but uh, he's been so good at double A that uh, I, I'm going to put him up there. Uh, and then at short, just to... Beat, beat the system and not nothing against Devlin Perez, uh, nothing against Evan Mendoza. But since my utility spot has already been taken by Juan Yepes uh, and Devlin Perez has been amazing. He's a better defensive shortstop than Kramer Robertson. He's probably has a better long-term future than Kramer Robertson, but at some point Kramer Robertson deserves some credit for uh, how good he's been. So I would, and not just defensively, but running the bases uh, he shows his baseball IQ on every play that he's involved in. And so I would, over Delvin Perez, even though Delvin Perez probably deserves to be there, pick Kramer Robertson as my shortstop. And, you know, Robertson, just for the, the awesome. audience, Robertson has played a lot of third. He's played a lot of second. Uh, played some short, but I'm just cheating the system because Ben's making me. Because <laughs> I'm making you. <laughs> All right, what about the lower levels of the minors? So do you want to start with pitching again, or are you yeah, on a position player kick? If that's okay, let's let's start with um, let's start with pitching. It, with the relief pitcher, it I'll do Freddie Pacheco. He's a righty who just made his way to Double A. I think he only has pitched one, made one appearance at Double A. But that's a kid who strikes out like 40, 40, 40 or forty six percent of batters he faces. He walks too many people. Uh, I want to say he walks like one hundred and forty percent of the batters he faces too. <laughs> but he he is filthy like. He has a big, strong live arm. He throws a nasty breaking pitch. Uh, he was too much for those low A hitters. Uh, again, he has a command issue, or those those high A hitters. He has a command issue, uh, but it's not like the pitching down there has been spectacular over and over again. So uh, that's the direction I would go there. Uh, I would, if I'm if I'm forced to pick a starter, I would. 
well, no, so this is tough again. Uh, you have Connor Lund. <laughs> Connor Lund is the only one who has been a starter, uh, like, all year. So the other two guys that I would consider are Wilfredo Pereira, who started off as a reliever and is now a starter, and Jack Ralston, who started off as a starter and is now back to relieving. Um, so, like, all three of them deserve some mention here. Uh, my personal favorite, as everyone knows, is Jack Ralston. But just because he has started from basically the beginning to the end, I, I'd probably pick Connor Lunn as my righty. And then uh, as my lefty, I'd go down to Palm Beach and pick Levi Prater because of the high strikeout numbers. Um, I, you know, I, I, that, as shallow as that is, I think he has some issues to work on. I think he has a serious command issues to work on, but I think his fastball curveball combo along with the changeup are both very, very impressive. So that's the direction I go in with pitching uh, outfield. You, I, the first thing that comes to my mind, go on. Do you have a lefty? I'll leave Prater. Levi Prater would be the oh, lefty. That's what you just said. Jeez. I'm no, you're super fine. smart. Okay. Outfield. Um, uh, Matt Kaperniak is the first thing that comes to my mind. The undrafted free agent from the 2020 class. Uh, Boy, and you know, getting to watch him at Peoria these last couple games, he is some version of Justin Turner. Uh, he gets me excited. He, I think he's a better hitter than Turner is. But Kaperniak, uh, you know, if you're, he's old. He was old for Palm Beach, so you have to keep that in mind when you look at his WRC plus and you look at his stats. Uh, but aside from Jordan Walker, he was the the biggest runs creator in the Cardinals organization this year. So the undrafted outfielder, uh, more of a hitter than a slugger, Matt Kaperniak, you have to start with Matt Kaperniak. He was on my list of names to ask you about if you didn't bring him up. So Yeah. And, you know, uh, just to kind of give people an idea, Kaperniak will be on whatever version of a prospect list I create. Uh, whether Again, so that's either that, – that's not a whole different piece. Let's not even get into it. I don't want to talk about it. Why are we talking about it? Stop it. <laughs> we Matt. might discuss it a little more later. We'll see. <laughs> Um, I guess the other outfielders, uh, can I wait? Do I get a utility? Do I get a utility option here? As yeah. Well? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. 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 Well, I'm going to, I'm going to make Chandler Redman an outfielder. He's played a little second and he's played a little first and I believe he's played third in stints, but I'm going to make Chandler Redman, uh, one of the other outfielders. So it would be Kaperniak. Oh, boy, man, this is so tough. This one's tough. The lower levels are tough, especially because of how dismissive of Palm Beach I am. So while Kyle's thinking, he's dismissive of Palm Beach because there's really only one feed that he can watch. So he only gets to see the Palm Beach teams when they're playing. Is it Bradenton? Yeah, that's it. So when they're playing at Bradenton, and that that's why he can dismiss them a little more easily than the other groupings. So, so for my outfielders, uh, I'll go Todd Lott, Chandler Redman, and Matt Kaperniak. You know, I think Tyler Reichenborn has played really great, specifically a really good defensive center field for Peoria. Uh, and Todd Lott has played first base along with the outfield. But I think that the easiest way for me to do this uh, is to cheat the system. You know, I think Leandro Cedeno is probably the way to go. Uh, Maybe what I'll do, just for the sake of the argument, because both of these guys play outfield and first, is I'll make Todd Lott my first baseman, 
and Leandro Cedeno, the outfielder. Uh, Cedeno is a terrible outfielder. He's gotten better, but he's a terrible outfielder. Uh, so he's a lot better out there. Yeah, lots way better out there. But he's played first base more than he's played the outfield. Uh, uh, okay. So I, what we'll do is we'll do Cedeno, Redmond, uh, and Kaperniak out in the outfield. Uh, Matt Chamberlain has also played really well, another undrafted free agent. Um, and then at first we'll do uh, Todd Lott. At short, we'll do Mason Wynn. At third, we'll do Jordan Walker. Um, at second, at second, we'll do Francisco Hernandez. Uh, I don't think we have much of a choice in the matter either. J- Jacob Bookberger, yeah, Jacob Bookberger kind of plays all over the place too. I think Bookberger's played more third than he's played anywhere else. You know. Uh, Let's let's leave this one as uh, Francisco Hernandez because I want to know more about him and I have Book Burger on my list for later. Okay, all right. So we'll do Francisco Hernandez, and, and uh, then win Mason win uh, uh, for my utility player. Since I've decided to make Chandler Redmond an outfielder for my utility player, Moises Castillo, who has played shortstop uh, primarily until Mason Win was promoted to Peoria. Deserves a ton of credit. I've been really impressed with Moises Castillo. That's another player that uh, uh, maybe going into this year that I didn't have such high expectations for. That has way outlived my uh, my expectations. He plays a good shortstop, and he's had a lot of really key hits for Peoria. Uh, so that I, I would use him as my utility. And all of this stalling uh, is me thinking about what to do with catcher. Well, tell us more about Francisco Hernandez while you are stalling on catcher. Yeah, so for Hernandez is fun because he's just a really solid player. Like, he can play a little third base. He can play a little short. Uh, what he has when you watch him swing is what I would consider to be typical swinging mechanics. So there isn't, like, it's kind of quiet. It's direct through the ball. Uh, he got off to a really hot start for Peoria and then struggled, and now he's starting to get his legs back underneath him. He's a super athletic uh, early 20s kid. I think he's only 20. Well, the 2020 thing threw me off, especially with the Caribbean kids, because I can never remember how old they are now. It's like they're somewhere between 16 and 23. Yeah, exactly. That you know, just that small little age range there, that 12 year <laughs> age gap. They're between 16 and 28, <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so he's just a really solid player. Again, more than likely just minor league depth when it's all said and done. Uh, but the same type of player along like along the lines of Moises Castillo, just with maybe a little bit more raw than Castillo, you know? Uh, so he's just a really good, fundamentally sound player who doesn't really do a whole lot and isn't going to be very flashy, but a lot of my Peoria people really love him. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye on Francisco Hernandez. Again, the stats aren't sexy, but I think that uh, when you watch him, when you watch him hit, when you watch his athleticism, uh, you'd be a little bit more impressed with him than the stat line would indicate. Uh, and then I'm just going to ignore the catcher position. All right, fair enough. Well, I'm not. So, um, how have like because uh, we we talked about uh, I thought prior to the season we talked about how the catching is kind of loaded in the system, um, and then uh, so we've got like Carlos Soto, Carlos Soto and Pedro Pajes, um, and Zade Richardson. Yeah. If you had to pick just from those three, what do you do? Yeah, you know Pedro Pajes is really picked up lately. Um, when Aaron Antonini got sent down to Peoria from Springfield last week or whenever it was, I think he just started this week. 
Zade Richardson got kind of pushed to a third catcher role, uh, and Christian Longa was released from the organization, and that bums me out a big a big deal. Not Christian Longa, but to me, like watching Zade Richardson, he's a super athletic kid who did really well behind the plate. Uh, I would I would have chosen Zade Richardson here, but the Cardinals have kind of relegated him to a third catcher position now there, and that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. But that that's a product more than anything of just how much catching depth they have. Um, so I, I would I'd be forced almost to tr- choose Pedro Pajes, and that's not to diminish how well Pedro Pajes has done, uh, especially lately. But uh, yeah, I think I would be forced to choose Pajes. I'm not the world's biggest Carlos Soto fan. I can't I can't get into him, and I don't know why. I did want to bring up one more catcher. Um, I don't know if you'll know much about this guy at all. Um, Roblin Heredia. Um, he started the year in Palm Beach, but then when the FCL picked up, they moved him down to the FCL. He's a catcher. He's he's actually the youngest youngest Cardinal in affiliated ball outside of the Dominican League teams. He's younger than Mason Wynn. He's younger than Jordan Walker. Um, he played for the Cardinals in 2019 affiliated ball, rookie ball, and he's played rookie ball and a ball this year. He's thrown out 40% of his base runners in his career. And I, I just happened to click on the age category and looked by age at non-Dominican and he was the first one to pop up. Um, do you remember anything about him or did they not play in Bradenton until after he was gone or? Yeah. So I actually, uh, one of one of the, the pad people, a gentleman named Iowa Neck, whose name is Derek, asked about Roblin Heredia when that was going on. And I, I did a little bit of research, and I even asked about him. And I what I was told is that he's a, a, a very raw, um, somewhat... When you say the term unathletic now, I think, I think people interpret it the wrong way. So I don't want to say unathletic. Uh, but as compared to how everyone else in baseball nowadays is, uh, and, and professional sports, even at the amateur level, is a super athlete, uh, he's just like average athleticism catcher with a very compact swing, um, kind of like uh, a less a less developed Julio Rodriguez is kind of like the impression that I get. Uh not as good defensively as Julio Rodriguez, because Julio Rodriguez, when healthy, is a very, very good defensive catcher. Uh, so again, I think I think maybe something along the lines of uh, like a Nick Raposo or Aaron Antonini is a pretty good catcher. A kick below that, something like that. You know, I not quite on the level of Zade Richardson behind the plate, um, but a, a solid catcher for being 18 with plenty of room to grow and develop. Okay. All right. Okay, so that ends the discussion about all stars. So you're off the hook there. Um, terrible! I hate you. I know. Um, I know you're not doing Dirty Thirty Five quite yet, or unsure if you're doing it, or you've do, you've dug in and you've started it at least. Um, but I had a personal curiosity. Um, have you ever thought of making it more instead of like just one through thirty five doing? more of like tiers potentially by floors and ceilings as part of the process. Or I don't know. I was just trying to figure out when you said you might not do it. Like I wasn't going to take up that mantle, but I was thinking about how I would go about doing it. 
Um, and that's just kind of what I came up with first. Um, and if you would do something like that, the Cardinals didn't necessarily name people untouchable in trades, but, and I know you never would because we've talked about like anybody should be available unless, I mean, if you get more than what you think that guy's going to be for it. So, um, who would you? Who would be the tier of players that we wouldn't call it untouchable, but that top tier of players for you as of right now that would be like, yeah, the Cardinals probably do see these guys as untouchable unless you come at them with some ridiculous offer. To your point about the dirty thirty-five, before we get into the guys, um, to your point about the dirty thirty-five, I have been working for close to two months on the gathering information looking at my own research and ranking phase of the dirty 35. Uh, I'm kind of stuck right now because what I have in front of me as, as close to a finished product as I could possibly have is a list of 40 guys uh, uh, and 15 more. (laughs) And I am not. I'd like to point out that that's 55 guys. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I am not doing a dirty 55. Uh, Gifts and I joked around about a doity 40. We'll do the doity 40. Uh, but I, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. And the reason that I'm stuck and every day the dirty 35 kind of changes or the dirty 40 kind of changes because I don't know what to do really after 30. And I mean, specifically between... 25 and 30, that's tough enough. Uh, but 30 and then whatever the back end of the dirty 35 is, I, I am trapped. And I can't get myself into a mental position to settle on those players. And I know that that seems like a dumb thing. Uh, uh, and it is. It is incredibly dumb. It is super stupid. Uh, but I can't move past it. I can't, until I feel comfortable with that group, it's incomplete in my mind. And you mean comfortable in terms of seeing them and having an idea of where you want them to be instead of just all lumped together? Exactly. But more the second part than the first, uh, because in my mind, like prospect 30 and prospect 55, there isn't much change there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe 31 or 32, but, uh, specifically those, those back, I just, I don't, I don't know how to write about them without talking about the other 15, you know, like they, they don't do enough to differentiate themselves enough to, to, to say, oh, all right, these guys are the dirty 35. These are the 35 best prospects. When in reality, uh, the 30th best prospect is probably just as good, but different than the 55th best prospect. So do you see that as a good thing for the Cardinals or not a good thing for the Cardinals? Is it a lot of people knocking down that door? Or is it uh, just not standing out enough themselves? Well, you know, Ben, so when I, when I look at the back end of the dirty 35, I, I think, I think it's a combo. I think some of the, the guys that might be 50 or 45 are guys that haven't performed or are just starting to perform. Like for instance, when we did when we did the Dirty Thirty Five in 2019, 2020, and I'm we're gonna go for a little walk around my apartment, Ben. I hope you're okay with that. I gotta get another beer. It's two o'clock. 
Um, no, that's fun. <laughs> two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, when we did the rankings in 2920, like we had Pedro Pais, and we had Pedro Pais pretty high on the list. And the reason we had Pedro Pais high on the list is he came off firing after being drafted, and he looked like a really solid catcher. But Pedro Pais was terrible. I mean, he was not good at all at the first half of the Peoria season. Uh, so, you know, and part of that is a product, as I kind of angle this, I don't know what's going on, all of a sudden it's prospects after dark. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, Pedro Pajes is a product of trying to evaluate in this particular year with, with the hostility that comes from this season and, and, and the changing variables uh, that, that come into the season. You know, sure, you can try to evaluate a little bit on raw talent and raw skills. And that's part of the evaluation always in the prospect rankings. But that's only part of the story. You know, you still have to produce. You still have to, like, judge based on in-game. So, like, I see Pedro Pajes, who isn't on the Dirty 35 right now, who I was solidified, who I had solidified as a top 25 prospect in the organization a year ago, fall off out of the Dirty 35, uh, and then now is starting at this very moment for the last month or so, is starting to put it all together. So I'm just still trying to figure out, like, well, how, how do you evaluate that? You know, this isn't this isn't 2019. This is 2021. This is the year after COVID. So, like, how do you how do you how do you appraise that? How do you value it? You know, I'm seeing the little mechanical changes that he's making. I'm seeing the approach changes. And what I have to decide is. Is that something that he's going to stick with? Is it maintainable? Is it just the fact that he's seeing more fastballs now? Because he is seeing more fastballs now. Uh and I, I get stuck with that, you know. So that that's that's where I'm stuck in the process, right? Pardon me, right now. Okay, okay, that makes uh, a lot of sense. Yeah, and then to your to your the point of your question, for me, it boils down to four prospects: um, Mason Wynn, the the four guys that I probably would be reluctant to trade. It would probably be Gorman, Wynn, Walker, and Herrera. Those are probably the four guys. And, of course, that comes with its own explanation that if I'm the St. Louis Cardinals with as much pitching issues as I have at both the major league and minor league level, I would probably be reluctant to trade any of the pitchers that I have, period. Uh, period. Like, that extends to some of the all-stars we mentioned. Uh, maybe even Connor Lund. Maybe even 25-year-old Dalton Roach pitching at Springfield. Uh I don't think they're in a position to move any pitchers unless they get pitching back. Gotcha. So that's, that's, that's where I'm at. It really, I mean, and that's, you'll, you'll hear that and you'll immediately think of Matthew Libertor and Zach Thompson, but I would not hesitate to move Matthew Libertor. Uh, If I could get another pitcher in the deal, nothing would stop me. Uh, you know, Jose Barrios, yeah, I would have given Matthew Libertor in a heartbeat. Like, that's – are you kidding me? No, absolutely. Um, uh, something like that, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to trade for Brad Miller. You know, you don't trade Matthew Libertor right. for Brad Miller. You know, okay. an, an incremental increase, I'm not going to trade any of the starting pitchers, really, uh, unless I can get something better because they need pitching and they need pitching at the major league level and both the bullpen and as a starter – and uh, they've done some questionable things with the development of some of their players. So uh, I, I think that they're the pitching in the organization, which has been the foundation of the organization for as long as I've, they've been good, uh, pretty much as long as the DeWitts have taken over, uh, is at an all-time low. 
All right. Um, I was trying to think if I needed to ask a follow-up there or not. Okay, so something else that... Um, uh, I'm kind of changing gears here. Something else that I listen to you about specifically when you talk about minor league prospects or expectations. I feel like you do a great job of talking about how uh, fan expectations are are oftentimes like just way higher than they should be for, for anybody in the organization, basically. Um, that most people don't realize the big jumps from level to level in the minors. Um, just because Connor Lunn is pitching well at high A doesn't mean he'll even he'll make it to the majors. Doesn't mean he'll make it to double A and pitch well. Um, I wanted to. I, I think you just do a great job of tempering expectations, and and I think that's helped people that listen to you see guys that have jumped to the major league squad. You know, a Paul DeYoung, a. Tommy Edmond, a Dylan Carlson, uh, those types of prospects that have come up and through in the last few years helped us to, that have followed pad and followed your work on birds on the black helped us to see, okay, maybe these guys aren't going to come up and be Tommy Edmond from 2019 long-term or Paul DeYoung from 2018 or 17 long-term that they're going to settle in somewhere else probably. I wanted to ask you about, uh, I've got a list of nine guys here that just, just expectations. Like if these guys were to make a jump to the majors in the next couple of years, what are your expectations for them, for fans, not for them, but for fans upon entry to the majors based on like, if they were, if they're the player that they are today and they had to make the jump. So like Matthew Libertor, right? Oh, go ahead. Before you get into that, it's interesting, and this is this is the thought experiment that I've been stuck in with the major league level, uh, and the Cardinals appraising talent and keeping guys around. The two guys you mentioned, Tommy Edmond and Paul DeYoung, are probably the two players that have had the most success right away at the major league level of the kids that they've brought up, right? And they look to be the two most unsustainable success-wise. And vice versa of that, uh, the kids that have, they've brought up that maybe haven't had success right away, Tyler O'Neill. Uh, Harrison Bader, which is a whole different story because of the, the palate surgery. Uh, uh, Randy Rosarena, Jag, uh, Luke Voigt, uh, all these guys who maybe faltered at first uh, and had to go back down to the minors, Dylan Carlson, uh, before getting called back up. And then they're the ones who were having success. So uh, I bring that up to bring up the volatility of success at the major league level once again. You know, uh, just because a guy's a flash in the pan at the beginning. Uh, just because he's a 30 doubles, 30 home run guy uh, for one season, and he, and he does it in his first full, full season at the major league level, uh, that doesn't mean that all of a sudden he's going to be an all-star uh, in two years. That ascent, sometimes in baseball, because baseball doesn't make any sense at all, sometimes that ascent is measured uh, and followed by an equally hard descent. And uh, I, I think that that can be said and it's an interesting thought process, uh, a thought experiment to just think about that in relationship to the Cardinals, the players that they've had that have come up and made an impact, how quickly they've fallen off. And then the vice versa of that, vice, apparently I'm from upper state New York, vice versa or that. The vice um, versa of that. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, of the players that have come up and we've said, oh, Jesus, what the hell's wrong with this guy? Uh, he's not a major leaguer. Send him back down. He's a 4A player. He's a 4A player. I mean, uh, Jag was a 4A player 
Lane Thomas is a 4A player. Luke Voigt was a 4A player. Uh, uh, you know, I had people telling me Randy Rosarena was a 4A player. Same thing with Tyler O'Neill. Same thing with Harrison Bader. Uh, uh, those people that are starting to have su- sustained success now, I just injects the position. I, I think that's really interesting. Um, I, I think it's interesting. You, you were getting into the nine players. Uh, we'll start with Matthew Libertori because that's the only one you said, and that's where we were going to start, and that was your decision. Perfect. <laughs> no, uh, so, so basically there's three pitchers I want to start with. You can take them in any order you want. Um, I wanted to start with uh, Libertor and Thompson because they're at most they're, they're on most people's top two pitchers in the farm system. And then Connor Thomas because he's come so far this year. So if those three were to be called up for September call-ups or – in spring training next year, they're decent enough to start the year with the club. Um, in the next six to eight months, these guys are in the majors. What should fan expectations be of these guys? Tempered. Tempered on all three. Um, when I was talking to uh, uh, Brian Swope for his uh, his uh, podcast a couple of weeks ago, like the Thompson, or the Thomas, Connor Thomas, Matthew Libertor debate feels a lot like Marco Gonzalez and Tim Cooney to me, where, you know, Libertor is the Marco Gonzalez and Tim Cooney is the Connor Thomas, vice versa, specifically. Um, and maybe maybe Connor Thomas is the better of the two pitchers. Uh, and we don't know what Tim Cooney's career would have been like had Tim Cooney stayed healthy. But I, I think that like that should give people an idea of, of what to expect out of these guys as they make their major league debut. Now, we've seen the gains and... Uh, uh, the, the gains and then the losses that players can ma- make or lose in an offseason. So if we're talking specifically about right now, because I think that we're looking at another offseason where you're going to have big gains and big losses, uh, similar to what we just had as people adapt to their first full season back to minor leagues. So I, I think we really have to view this as like in the moment now, like if they were to get called up now or in September uh, and only think about it in this very moment and not necessarily what's about ready to come into it in the offseason. I think you would be talking with Matthew Libertor similar to what you got out of Marco Gonzalez when you made that when Marco Gonzalez made his debut with the Cardinals. I think with Connor Thomas, you would be looking at something similar to what you got out of Tim Cooney when Tim Cooney made his major league debut. Zach Thompson is a whole different story. I don't know what to think about that. Uh, his arm speed is down. His arm speed is down a great deal. His curveball, which I liked a lot, is slow and looping, and he slows his arm down in a big way to throw that. Um, and his slider-fastball combo just isn't there right now. He's just off kilter. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's a product not having success and trying to change too much or being in his own head. Uh, the arm speed issue is something that's relatively new. Something I've noticed in his last couple starts. Uh, last couple appearances, maybe over the last month, where he looks more like he's slowing his arm down and trying to aim. Uh, looks like his body's out of sync. So I wouldn't know what to think about that. I, I would say that if you ended up going to uh, Zach Thompson now, it would be more like Roel Ramirez or Mike Myers than it would be anything else. And that's not to diminish, you know, Zach Thompson's a better pitcher than both of those. He has a potential to be substantially better than both of those guys. I just don't think it'd be pretty right now. Gotcha. Okay. Um, I'm going to cut it down to four hitters um, because if we're going with the right now, um, I was going to talk about Walker and Win, but right now they're not ready. They're at high A. They're 19. Um, so let's go Nick Plummer with how he's playing right now at the double A level. Um, this is easily the best we've seen him. Um, if you've listened to 
musical a couple weeks ago when uh, Kyle was on with Alan and Kyle was on with Daniel talking about them, um, about Plummer. Uh, Plummer's ascent has been great. Uh, you think he should be in Memphis right now. Um, what what should fan expectations be there if, you know, if one of the three outfielders goes down and they don't feel comfortable going to Newt Bar and they bring up Plummer? You would see a really athletic kid. Uh, you, I think you, right away you'd fall in love with this, just like his the way that he plays the game. Uh, and I also think that the way that he kind of – so at, at Springfield in particular, and I think this is a part of Tiger Peterson, their hitting coach, I think this is part of his influence uh, and how he has helped translate the information from Jeff Albert and Jeff Albert second-in-command and uh, employed it with those kids – all of those kids kind of spray the ball all over the place with the exception of Luke and Baker. You know, Luke and Baker has opposite gap power and he puts the ball in the opposite field gap shading center. But uh, other than that, like Brendan Donovan hits the all field. Delvin Perez, when they start shifting on him, he starts hitting to the opposite field. Nick Plummer hits to the opposite field. Nick Dunn's the best opposite field hitter in the organization, their second baseman. Uh, David Vinsky, uh, he hits to the opposite field. You know, Malcolm Nunez is a completely different story, um, but there's something about the teachings of Tiger Peterson that – go on. Who is Jack Peterson's brother, actually. Exactly, exactly, that um, that those kids in particular at Springfield have really latched onto. We saw it with Nolan Gorman. Uh, he really latched onto it too and was doing some of his best work because he wasn't afraid to take the ball to the opposite field, even down the opposite field line if it, if it ended up – uh, uh, being all that he could do with the pitch. Part of the reason why he struggled a little bit at Memphis, although he's come through, is that that part of his game until like the last week has vanished. Um, it's nice to see him kind of go back to it, even if he's not having like the measured success. He's hitting, he's smoking the ball just right at outfielders. And it just isn't, it, it hasn't paid off yet. But uh, yeah, so I think if Nick Plummer to, were to make the majors, I don't I don't think he's a 260 hitter. You know, I, I want to see him get those, those reps at AAA. That's why it's so important that this 25-year-old kid gets reps at AAA uh, because of how big, like, the minor league gaps are nowadays, how big the gap is from majors to AAA specifically. Uh, I think that it's important that he gets those reps. But I, I think he'd be an okay fourth outfielder. I don't think he'd embarrass himself, you know. He strikes out, like, 25% of the time on the year. That would go up at the major league level. He'd probably get a little bit more aggressive. But he's one of these kids that has a really smart head on his shoulders, and he's not going to allow himself to be overexposed anymore. Like, he's beyond that. And that's part of what's come from the break that he's got. So uh, again, I, I, he'd be able to handle any outfield position. I think he's best suited for center. Cause I don't think his arm is particularly like way above average or anything like that, but he can play a corner. He's really good in left. He's really good in right. He's solid. You know, he's not, he has really good speed. It's not that level of Bader or O'Neill to kick down from that. You know, uh, he, he's just a really solid, fundamentally sound baseball player who doesn't, play with outside of his own boundaries. I'm going to try to go in order of ascent here. So Alec Burleson just got called up to triple a. He's only played a couple games there earlier this week. At some point was called up triple a. He has been on fire this year. What about him? What would expectations be? This is his first professional season and already in triple a. What if he had to make the leap to the majors right now? I've never been more sure that the Cardinals have a prospect who's never going to be below league average. That guy is, he will, he is, he's league average and he'll, he'll have years, I think, where he'll be above that. But the kid just, 
he just hits. He just hits. And he hits in full counts. He hits in pitcher's counts. He hits in hitter's counts. Uh, he hits defensively for hits. There's just – he's so – like, I have no doubt – that he's going to be league average all of the time with, with varying degrees of above league average. If he stays on this track, uh, dropping pitching has been, in my opinion, uh, also getting into the hitting lab, trusting the coaches, uh, just his own work ethic and the, uh, the, the environment he surrounds himself with the culture that he surrounds himself with, uh, along with his personality, like he'll, he'll max out. I think he'll be more than that, but, I'm not going to lie. I think if you were to bring him up right now and you were to play every day, I think he would be the exact same hitter that he has been up until this point. Uh, and just uh, part of that is not only what I've seen at Peoria and it's not only what I've seen at Springfield, but just in two games at at, at, uh, at Memphis, he's doing the same things uh, against better pitching that he was doing in those other days. Nothing about him has changed at all. And, you know, at those levels, he's been above league average. I just think that, like, this is a kid who will not allow himself to be better than or be worse than average. I, I, for however long, I'm not sure. There's some athleticism questions, I think. You know, uh, he isn't the smoothest, even though he makes every every play that he needs to make and more. Uh, you know, part of the reason he's not ever going to be on a top 100 prospect list is because he doesn't yell athleticism. Uh, uh, and everybody cares about athleticism. You know, again, we say – bad athlete he's not a bad athlete he's a superior athlete it's just that now everybody's super athletic uh and he doesn't look that he doesn't look it to the eye test uh and he's not a burner although he you know i i i tweeted a gif out last night of him chasing a ball down as a left fielder into the the left center gap uh and he did everything he could to get it uh his first game for peoria he made a diving catch probably the best catch of any of the cardinal minor leaguers uh this year uh, both infield and outfield. There's, you know, the play that Delvin made last week where he he circled around a little pop yeah. fly so he could get the guy at home. Those are the two for the best play of the year so far. And, you know, Kramer Robertson makes web gems every night, it seems like. Uh, so it's, it's, I would think that Alec Burleson would come up and he would just be like the mid-season version of Dylan Carlson I, I, that, like that's what I would think that we would see out of him. Not, not the super hot version right after the beginning of the season. Not the kid who's starting. To, not the Dylan Carlson version that we're starting to see a little bit more and more again. I think that right around league average, maybe more singles than anything. K rate going a little higher than you would like. Maybe not walking enough. I think that's what you would see more than anything. But with the foundation of more. So fan expectations, kind of that perfect bench bat, it sounds like. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. You know. Compared to what we have right now, I guess I should say. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. That's so, that's so tough because you don't know how a kid like that's going to do. Look, I think I think because of the type of person he is, I just like with Lars Newbar, like I think there's an argument to be made, even though I stirred the pot today. Uh, uh, I think there's an argument to be made that it makes a lot of sense that Lars Newbar is the fourth outfielder on the team. I think that he's the type of kid, because of his dedication, his understanding of the sport, his baseball IQ, that you could make him just a bench bat. I don't think he needs to see at-bats all the time to be a contributor. Like, that was my complaint with Lane Thomas. 
uh, we, we wrote about it for years and years leading into Lane Thomas's uh, 50 at bats and 48 games or whatever at the major league level in 2019. Right. And he's a streaky hitter. He's either good or he's bad. And he's not going to be good if he's bad. Uh, uh, if he doesn't have the confidence, he's not going to be good. And if he's not getting at bats, he doesn't have a chance to gain confidence to be good. Uh, I don't think that's the case with Lars Newbar. I think Lars Newbar, I mean, ideally is probably a fourth outfielder for the majority of his career. I think he could probably be get away with being a bench bat, but I think it benefits him more, specifically coming off of 2020, uh, a lost 2020 season, where he's made mechanical adjustments uh, to be getting at bats practically in Memphis rather than sitting on the bench for the major league team, but not being embarrassed in that role. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, next man up, Nolan Gorman. What if Cardinals decide the second base production has not been where it needs to be? They call him up right now to be a second baseman. Fan expectations should be set where? No, so that's the issue. If they call him up, they're going to call him up because he's hot. And if he's hot, he's going to hit. doesn't matter what level he's at. You know, it's going to be the Paul DeYoung where he comes up and all of a sudden he's hitting home runs. And you're thinking, oh, this kid can hit doubles. He can hit home runs. Uh, and I, I think that that's the worst thing that could possibly happen for him. Uh, you know, I, I think that he is a less evolved version of a 21 year old Tyler O'Neill. Uh, and I, again, you guys know, I love Tyler O'Neill. I, he is, he's my favorite. He really is. And I've been a champion of his forever. So let that guide you as I maybe bring levy some criticisms on Nolan Gorman. I think Nolan Gorman is, he has the potential to be an absolute masher, uh, an absolute stud. Uh, I think that what he's done offensively at the minor league level by trying to learn second base tells you specifically just how good he's capable of being because his attentions are split and he's still mashing the ball. Uh, that's really impressive. I think the issue is he's so streaky and he's so good. And the Cardinals have yet to give him a chance to work out struggle at the minor league level at a level. Date back to 2019, you know, he's in Peoria, gets off to a hot start, and then is, is miserable for a month, terrible for a month. They never let him get his feet back underneath him, never let him adjust. And then they promote him to Palm Beach because that's what fit their schedule. That's what they wanted. At the break, he was going to go to Palm Beach. He goes to Palm Beach. His WRC Plus is off the charts. Uh, but you could see that he hadn't developed at all as a hitter. He hadn't worked his way through struggle to find consistency. And then you have 2020 and then 2021. He starts off at, at Springfield. He's terrible for the first two weeks of the season. I mean, terrible. Can't frustrated, awful. And then he goes on the run. Run lasts three weeks. He starts struggling again and gets promoted to Memphis before he has a chance to work out how to get through those struggles at that level and perform on the other side of those struggles. And he starts off in Memphis. almost Like his start at Memphis is almost a carbon copy of his start at Springfield. Bad for a week and a half, two weeks. Starts to come out of it and then lights the world on fire, except for instead of it being for three weeks, it's for two weeks and is more consistent on the other side of that, that fire starting session, but is still learning to work his way through it. And my concern is that he were to go to the major league level. Sure. He might have 10 bad days, 
where you're like, man, this kid's striking out 45% of the time. And sure, he might go on a three-week run where he hits, you know, in 21 games, he hits, well, in 18 games, he hits 12 home runs with six doubles and bats 400. Uh, I just don't think that he's prepared for what's on the other side of that run. And as we found out with someone like Johan Oviedo, who is also young for the level, who also got pushed to the level, uh, and pitching is different than hitting, but if you haven't had an opportunity to have success on the other side of the low, it's hard to find the other side of the low at the major league level. Okay. All right. So last guy I'm going to ask you about here then is probably the guy out of these that's had the most time to figure it out at the minor league level that maybe these highs and lows aren't necessarily going to be there. Uh, this is a guy who can maybe step in and actually hit as well. I think you probably know where I'm going with this is Juan Yepes. Yeah. Um, he's a guy who I would like to publicly eat crow on. He was a guy who, when the Cardinals traded Matt Adams for him, and I looked around at every prospect list I could possibly find for the Atlanta Braves and could not find his name to save my life, I kind of uh, got really frustrated. Mm-hmm. And then and then he started out in the Cardinals system and was not very good for a long, long, long time. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, as you've talked about, he finishes school. He gets his full attention on baseball, uh, full attention stateside, you know, and and he has really taken off. His family is a hoot on Twitter. They are awesome. Um, I'm I'm becoming a, be, becoming a huge fan of his. Um, where where should my expectations be set now that I'm on the other side of it? <laughs> now that I am uh, actually living this dream along with them, hoping for him and rooting for him. Uh, so my my expectations for him are high. I think that uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned. This is a young man. Juan Yepes is, is a young man, uh, still only 23 years old or uh, however old he is. You know, most people, somebody said in my DMs, and I, this happens This happens pretty frequently, whether it be in my Twitter mentions or my Twitter DMs, where somebody says, just says, I thought that he'd be 25, 26 by now, but he's only 22, 23. Um, yeah, he's 23. You know, yeah, 23. It, it, he Because he's been around for so long, you know, Uh I think that Juan Yepes has gone through enough adversity. I don't think that all of a sudden adversity is going to get the better of him. So for me, that changes my expectations. I think that uh, it's one of two things. Either he has no major league future, he comes up, he's terrible, uh, and that's it. Or he's a major league contributor. And whatever version of major league contributor that is, of course, is up for debate. But, you know... I think that he's the kind of kid who could carry what he has in Memphis uh, through a major league season or two for a couple of years. You know, you, you never know how the league's going to adjust to a player. You never know how a player is going to adjust to the league. But I think it's reasonable to expect that if Paul Goldschmidt got hurt, uh, uh, maybe not Nolan Arenado because I don't – Yepes can handle third, but I don't think you want him playing third every day, in and out, in and out. Uh, uh, and I think he could handle a corner outfield spot, but it's the same kind of thing where I prefer that he only plays out there for like six or seven innings and then somebody replaces him. Um, 
maybe you treat him like uh, like David Freeze in 2011. You know, TLR. Of course, Schilt doesn't do this, but TLR. You know, David Freeze would play six in, six six seven innings, and then out he goes. Daniel Descalso would go play third, and uh, uh, Freeze. You know, rinse out of repeat. That. Yeah, you could you could do that with an Edmundo Sosa right now. In exactly. Mungo, sorry. Although you know that. Anyways, Jeff has. Well, so here's my issue. Is like this is a, this is a matter of, of looking at what you have out of Mike Schilt and knowing that there's no way that Juan Yepes would ever get the at-bats that he would deserve in that spot. Because what would happen is Tommy Edmund would play third, or Edmundo Sosa would play third, or Matt Carpenter would play okay. third. Okay, so let's make this assumption then. Big assumption here. Let's say next year, the season starts on time. There's my first big assumption. Ah. We have a DH. That's my second big assumption. Juan Yepes is the DH. So he's got a path to playing time every day. Yeah, I think I think we're, exactly I think exactly what he's doing at AAA right now that that 250, 260, 340, 350 with you know it'll take him it'll take some him version time. of some version of the power he's had the last two stops. Exactly. Exactly. Uh it might take him a little while to find it, but once he finds it, he finds it. Uh remember like with Memphis, they used him off the he got a couple starts when he first got promoted to Memphis and then they used him off the bench for a couple of weeks while he kind of like calmed himself down. And then he got reinserted into the lineup after Nagowski uh, was was moved, and he mashed. He just mashed. He found his once the game once he found his game. He went back to doing what he does, which is two fifty to two sixty, three forty to three fifty, uh, uh, and maybe a home run one in every thirteen, uh, one in every seventeen at bats or something like that. Yeah, something like that. I like that's what I think. I th- I do. I think he's there. I think I think he is as close to major league ready as the Cardinals have had at the minor league level in quite some time. Okay. All right. Well, I have three or four more guys I do want to talk about. Not in that same lens, though. Um, so I wanted to talk about some specific guys in the organization just to get your thoughts post-pandemic, uh, if we can say we're past that. Um, I guess there's three left on the list that we haven't discussed at all yet. Um, I, like I said earlier, I looked at the baseball reference page and just searched by age. And I was just looking for guys who are really young and not necessarily young for their level, but just still just young in the Cardinals organization that, that are on prospects lists that that maybe people want to hear more about because they're going to see these midseason lists coming out or starting next year. Um, one guy you've already mentioned is, so Jacob Bookberger. I've actually, I had never heard of him before I got to that list and before you said it today. Uh, those are my first two instances of hearing his name. He is tearing it up though. So tell us a little bit about Jacob Bookberger. Yeah, just a really solid uh Minor league utility player plays a little first, plays a little third base. Uh, you know, most of so, the corner guy then. Yeah, for the most part, for the most part, yeah, I wouldn't doubt for one second that he could play uh, second. You know, I I don't know if he's actually got time. For some reason, I thought he got time at short uh, at Palm Beach, but I don't I don't think he ever did. I know you're on it. Uh, thanks, Ben. But you know, Mason Wynn played short almost every day for Palm Beach, so. He might have spelled him here and there a little bit, but I, I don't know if he ever did. But he's a um, uh, 
he's just a really fun, interesting little you know, little kid. He's 23 years old. He's an undrafted free agent out of uh, 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 Montauk State. Is it Montauk? Ah, oh, son of a SOS. SOS! Um, no, he's just... He's, he's my, my, internet, my internet has decided that it's not Google Fiber anymore. It's like the slowest thing on earth, so I can't find him at the moment. Perfect. Sounds good. But yeah, he's just a really sound, fundamentally sound 23-year-old playing at a level that he's way too old for. Uh, it'd be nice to see him get to Peoria, but you know, Peoria has a lot of infielders that are already pretty good that it's tough to find time for all of them as it is. Um, more than likely an organizational depth guy. Go on. Oh, no, no. I was going to transition to the next guy there, but more than likely organizational depth, probably not going to see a yeah, debut he, type of thing. He's recorded, from what I understand, he's recorded a couple of, like, some really good exit velocities. Uh, you know, nothing like super, you know, some some 105-plus exit velocities. Uh, more of a gap-to-gap hitter than anything else. Uh, not going to strike out a lot, but he's he's a good organizational depth piece that I think would probably be ready for the next challenge at Peoria. Sounds like, uh, yeah, sounds like if you're in Peoria or, or Springfield even, you know, for the next couple of years here, he'd be a fun one to watch at least. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So transitioning to another Peoria kid then, uh, Malcolm Nunez. Uh, he's still only 20 years old somehow. Uh, another guy like Juan Yepes where I'm just like, I looked at that age and I, I literally at that point scrolled up to make yeah. sure it said 2021 at the top. Um, still only 20 years old. He tore up high a Peoria. Uh, so what's he looking like post pandemic? He's good. He was really good at Peoria. Not so good at Springfield so far. Um, if I'm being honest, if a team viewed him as a third baseman of the future, and, uh, I, I think Malcolm Nunez is a perfect trade piece is what I think. I, he's athletic but he's also not at the same time. I, I, I don't know. So here's the thing is I don't think he sticks at third. I don't think he has. Nah, it's not athleticism. It's not baseball IQ. It's both. Uh, but, but not one more so than the other to stick at third. And I don't know if he has the athleticism to move off of that position other than to play a corner outfield. And even then, I don't know if he has the athleticism to play a corner outfield. Uh, I know because I had people in my DMs asking me about Baseball America's top 30 prospects list. As you very well know, I want nothing to do with. I don't want to read. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to know anything about it. Uh, But I had people coming in who said that, and I, I could be wrong about this, that said that Baseball America had him as like the best pure hitter in the organization or something like that. If there's other teams that feel that way, then I would definitely give them him uh, in a trade to get better. Problem is, if other teams feel that way, then the Cardinals will feel that way too because other teams feel that way, and that's how the Cardinals react to things. He he has a really good hit tool. That's not to that's not to diminish his hit tool. It's really good, and he has more power in there than he has access so far. Um, what I question is the the baseball ability of it all. Uh, I, I think he's good. I think he's talented. Uh, I'm glad he got the promotion to Springfield. He was worthy of it. He's still young. 
Uh, you'll talk. He's one of the youngest players in Double A, I believe. And uh, but there's something missing there, and it's not dedication. It's not any of that. There's something missing that I can't quite put my finger on that worries me in the long term, and why he isn't as high up on my list. I'm assuming as he would probably be on other people's lists. Gotcha. Okay. And then another young raw tools guy. Um, if you're me, I barely have time to watch the big league club, much less three minor league games a night. Looking at the stats as I do, Jan Torres's stats don't pop out, but he's up there on all the lists. You've talked well about him in the past. Um, I know you like him. I don't know how well you like him in terms of the Dirty 35 now, but what have you seen with him post-pandemic? I've seen an adjustment. When he was at Peoria the first time, Peoria was low A and not high A. Uh, and he was only there for a couple of weeks in 2019 before they sent him back down to Johnson City when the short season club finally kicked in in 2019. When he was at Peoria in 2019, he was exposed to start and then kind of eased into it swinging at everything, a little over-aggressive. And it seemed like to me, uh, specifically because he was Peoria, he's been Peoria's leadoff hitter for the majority of the year, that what they told him to work on and what he was focused on, and again, I this is not anything I've gotten, um, this isn't information I've gotten, this isn't, um, this isn't like a report, this is more me guessing than anything. It seemed like he was leading off to work on his approach, uh, to work walks, to see more pitches. And I think that sacrificed some of his ability to slug. I think he's still only 22 as well. But what I really like now is I think that now we're going to, now that he's hitting third behind Wynn and Walker, go on. He's 20, he's just under 21 and a half actually. Boy, good, 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 good news. Um, <laughs> I, I see the athleticism. I see the gains that he's making. He's made, rather, uh, as a complete hitter. Uh, even, again, if the stats haven't really, uh, sh- don't really show that. Uh, I think what we're going to see here in the next couple weeks, maybe even the next couple months, is an increase in power. Uh, he's put together a couple games where he's, swinging you can tell he's not swinging as defensively he's swinging more aggressively and it's not producing extra bases it's not producing home run over the fence power but he's starting to get hits more consistently and all over the diamond and i think that that's going to lead to more over the fence power uh, i just think that being asked to lead off kind of changed his trajectory but maybe for the better in the long term even if the short term suffered okay but he's still real fast. He's still he's still a good base runner, still a smart base runner. He's not a burner, but he's a really good runner, and he's a really good right fielder. I can only think of one or two times on the season. He had one uh, one fly ball on foul territory that he came in for that he, like, overran, and then one ball into the gap at the wall that he completely misplayed. Uh, but other than that, he's a really solid outfielder, and his arm is as good as advertised. Awesome. 
I know I said we go around an hour and a half. We're sitting at an hour 26. Uh, I did want to bring up one more guy. I know I keep doing this. Um, I want to bring up one more guy just because I did have this one filed under the expectation discussion we had. Um, I had three other things on the list that we'll have to hold off till next time, along with potentially a dirty 35, it sounds like. But, um, okay, so I want to talk Dylan Carlson in the majors so far. Um, to me, uh, just, I don't know if it was because of media hype. I don't know if it was because my expectations might be that, that the slightly above average at everything kind of guy that he can become. I think maybe I was expecting that more right away, but I feel like he's fallen short of expectations of that at least when you set your expectations for him this year and seeing what he could be, where is he, where is he on those? Uh, well, so like, I think right now, um, the, probably the best place to start is like things like last night, right? Where he, he comes in for a ball in a really important situation and the ball jumps out of his glove. Uh, I never saw him do that at the minor leagues. I've never seen that. And yet that's three or four times this year. It's only the second time I remember. Uh, one specifically in Chicago. Uh, a big one in Chicago. I remember that. Uh, and then th- those are the only two that I remember. But again, I have the Cardinal game on my TV and I'm watching three minor league games tonight. <laughs> so uh, I do miss stuff in the major league the, the, during the Cardinal games. Uh, and like, not getting, before we get into like the Dylan Carlson of it all, it's amazing how often I've seen that happen to Cardinals players at the major league level uh, where, you know, I think about all those years of Tyler O'Neill out in the outfield, you know, leading into this year and last year where he was sure handed, like that was a minor league outfield version of Tyler O'Neill. And then in 2019, you'd see him make all these mistakes specifically going into the gap. Uh, and you'd be like, man, this is not the kid that I've watched at the minor league level. Um, so I think that, uh, I think that these are blips on the Dylan Carlson radar. I think these little mistakes out in the outfield, these aren't the kind of things that are going to follow him is what I'm saying. And I know that they're frustrating moments. And I know specifically in a game last, like last night, that's a frustrating moment at the most important time of the game. Uh, but the thing that separates Dylan Carlson and why I've always kind of had my um, – expectations for him in this particular boat is his ability to work through them, learn from them and come out better on the other side of him is what differentiates him. Uh, I believe in the dirty 35 write up uh, in 2019, 2020, whatever it was, because who can even keep track of that? Um, I, I was pretty, I've always been pretty loud on pad and in his write ups to say, that you don't need to look further than his minor league history to anticipate how he was going to do at the major league level. Uh, And that is a kid who is aggressively pushed, who might look like he's treading water, might look like a league average player, but with the tools and the moments that will show you what he is capable of once he gets past treading water. There was a point at the year earlier in the season when we did a pad, and his WRC Plus at the time was like, 136 or 140 and I his dad was in the room and it's not easy to do when the parents are in the room uh uh, but I said 
this is this he's not this yet. This isn't going to be him. I don't know if he's ever going to be a 140 WRC plus guy. He might do it one or two years. Uh, more than likely, by the end of the year, you're talking about a 110. If everything goes 100% right for him, 120 WRC plus guy. Now, I also didn't anticipate the Cardinals completely taking his legs out from underneath him. I, I don't understand that. I don't get why they're doing it with Tommy Edmond. I don't get why they're not running with Tyler O'Neill. I think it boils down to the fact that they know how bad their offense is, how inconsistent it is, and they're not trying to give away outs. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, I think that that's a big part of his game, too. And I think just like with Tommy Edmond, I think if you get him moving a little bit, I think it's going to increase their ability to hit. I think if you keep them engaged that way, it's going to increase their ability to hit. But uh, to the, the short of the long is I wouldn't say I expect him to be like a 105. I, I think that this is the low for him, uh, you know, until he gets later on in his career. Uh, I think I think when we look back at the year, you're going to be talking about a 105, 110, WRC plus, maybe 115 if he ends a year on a hot streak type player who is probably two years away, you know, maybe all of next year with signs at the end of next year. And then hopefully if baseball still played and then in 2023 of being that all-star player. And again, that's the minor league player that I saw. The, the kid at uh, Peoria, high A Peoria, who was 18 years old. The kid at Palm Beach who was 19 years old, you know, hitting above league average, uh, uh, getting tested, getting pushed. That's what I think. I still think he needs to put on more weight. Uh, one of the things we've seen out of nearly every minor leaguer, uh, except for the kids that have big bonuses, uh, they've all lost weight. And I haven't talked to the Carlson family about this. This is speculation, but I'd wager just based on what I saw out of Dylan Carlson uh, as compared to the first game I went to and the most recent game I went to, he looks like he's down about 10 or 15 pounds. Uh, uh, so I, I think he needs to continue to put weight on and find a way to maintain that weight. I think that'll be a big thing for him. Uh, 162 games is a grind. But I, I still think that we are one or two years away from seeing Apex, or Apex Carlson. Okay. All right. I, he's a better outfielder than he's shown. That I know for a fact. And I am a little disappointed, and not just those little miscues, not just, you know, the ball coming out of his glove, coming in for a ball or diving for a ball or whatever. Uh, he's a better outfielder than that. And I am a little concerned about that because that that makes me wonder if it's in his head or if it's just a positioning thing or whatever it might be. Uh, but, you know, I don't, think he's a, I don't think he's a perennial gold glover. I don't think he's going to be a, a, a UZR user. I don't think he's going to be like – a user UZR darling. I don't think that that's him. Right. But he's he is a good solid outfielder, and I don't know if we've seen that yet. And I think that's more the side I was looking at. I wasn't thinking like, oh yeah, he was a one thirty WRC plus in April, and that's where he should be now, or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but I was just more on the side of you know. I thought I, I was thinking he'd be that one ten guy for the next couple of years, and and that he would be. And I was with you on the steals as well. I mean, it, those it's team wide though. I mean, except for except for Edmund, basically, it's team wide. And and I knew that the Cardinals don't run a lot, but I I just kind of was thinking maybe he'd be a fifteen guy by the end of the year, um, especially because he does take better at bats than than a lot of prospects we've seen come up through the Cardinals system. That's something he does really well. Is he sees pitches well. He is 
I wouldn't put him in Matt Carpenter territory on that from when, you know, 2013, 2014 or anything like that. But, but he might be the best sense then at coming up straight from the minors and having that eye where you might think you, you might be looking at it going, Ooh, he might know this better than the umpire does. Um, and then the right field thing. I don't know. If, and I'm sure Dylan Carlson and his family would not just from everything I've heard about the kind of people they are, he probably wouldn't want me making excuses for him, but he did have to go play center field a lot more than we thought he would have to this year because of injury. Um, not getting many reps in right field probably doesn't help these causes either. Um, especially seeing the ball differently at Bush with fans in the stands than without fans in the stands last year. And I mean, lots of different changes could cause this, you know, slightly below average outfielder instead of slightly above average outfielder in the right side. Um, but yeah, it just kind of stood out to me. And I, I will say on my behalf, I did not, I, I did have that written in these notes prior to last night. And so I wasn't reacting to that play in particular, but I'm kind of glad we talked about this today after that play, because it kind of exemplified a little bit, uh, exaggeratedly exemplified what we've seen out of him in right field this year is, is not quite the guy I was expecting. And so yeah. I didn't know if my fan expectations were way off or what. I, it, I do wonder if there is a, uh, if there's a, precedent maybe i don't know i do wonder if there's like something about bush that just takes you know you've talked about the park factor you talked about uh uh how hard it is for right-handed power uh which you know right fielder right-handed power two different things ball slices though you still gotta but I, like i think about i think about tyler o'neill who struggled to get his feet underneath him and out in the cardinals outfield i think about uh, jag who in a limited time didn't look like you know Jag and both both uh, Adolis Garcia and Randy Rosarena were both weird outfielders, uh, super athletic, super fast, uh, big strong arms, could get to a lot even when they were playing center or corner. Uh, but they even in their limited exposure, they never really looked fully comfortable in the Bush outfield. Um, maybe maybe there's just a, an acclimation process that needs to go on there that uh, uh, hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I could I could see that, and I I didn't even think of it in terms of park factor. But if you see a ball off a bat that everywhere else you're like, oh, that's gone, and you're going back on the ball, and you're not full speed right at that time, that ball's over your head, and and it's falling in for a double or triple because you thought it was ten feet, ten ten rows up or whatever. Yeah, and then you would you would have to adjust when you're in a different park to that, which would be just as difficult as adjusting in that park. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting thought experiment all in itself there. All right. Well, I have kept you long enough, sir. Uh, yes, a raise of the glass to you as well, uh, although mine is soda because I have to go pick up my kids in half an hour. Um, next time on with Kyle, what I would like to do is I would like to talk about the biggest risers and fallers kind of in the system. Uh, that's something we sort of heard a little bit about today, at least, but nothing formally in those terms. And then Kyle and I have kind of bounced around an idea that I had about if you were running an organization or setting goals for an organization of who to have ready when kind of in in a, each year, like corner guys or up the middle guys or how many pitchers you should have ready to start a season uh, at the minor league level that can contribute at the major league level, things like that. I'd like to kind of get into 
organization building with Kyle next time he's on. And then maybe he'll surprise us and actually have a dirty pick a number here. Uh, Cardinal prospect list for us by the time we talk again. We'll see. Yeah, we're, we're working for, on it. Go ahead. No, we're, <laughs> we're working on it, and we'll figure something out. Uh, since I am I am supposed to be on the Cardinals Off Day podcast this coming Monday, uh, but since this will probably be the only place where I'll I'll talk about the Dirty 35, because I don't know when I'm going to have time to do pad, or uh, I've got to plan pad perfectly, but uh, uh, there will be some iteration of the Dirty the dirty 35, dirty 40, whatever ends up being. Uh, I don't know what it'll look like from a written standpoint. I'm still trying to figure that out because I'll be honest, I don't want to write at all. Uh, but we'll hopefully Ben and I can make some type of uh, podcast version happen with me singing songs to lead it in. That sounds fabulous. <laughs> All right, so until next time, the dulcet tones of Kyle Reese and Ben Cerruti here. Um, we, will, uh, we will watch some Cardinals baseball. We will hopefully see a very good August with the teams coming up. Um, if you have not listened to the chirps from this week, uh, please go do so. Uh, Birds on the Black Family podcast with Alex Crisofoli and Tara Nichols. Not Wellman anymore. I, I, I'm finally getting that down. Um, go on over to our page and you can see a fairly recent guest post um and also a dennis post recently or two um so go read that uh interact with gifts and everybody else on twitter and until next time thank you for listening i appreciate it adios